thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to John chapter 17. If you happen to be coming in just a little bit later, yes, we changed the order of service. And we're having the Bible study up front so that we can have a time of worship in response at the end. Because there's a couple of things in this last part of the prayer of Jesus in John 17 that I think will do us well to respond in our hearts before the Lord. Not only in the songs that are going to be sung, but as you process the reality of your life today in light of the scriptures, this is going to be a glorious day. So when we end our Bible study, don't be quick to leave, but rather be quick to respond and be quick to humble yourself yourself before the Lord and let him speak to you and drill down what he's doing in your life through his word. And this is the fifth week now that we have spent studying the prayer of Jesus here in John 17. He's praying it out loud in front of other people. And on top of that, it's been recorded for us so that we can hear it and we can learn from it once again. And a lot that we have learned is glorious, not only in the sense of how to pray, but what was on the heart of Jesus right before the cross? What was on the heart of Jesus when it comes to himself? That was the first part of the prayer. He prayed for himself. What was on the heart of Jesus as he prayed for his disciples? And then finally, this last section, what's on his heart when he was praying literally for you and me some 2,000 years ago? He was praying for us. So let's overlap in our study and pick up in verse 16, which we covered in some degree last time. But in verse 16, Jesus Christ is praying to the Father and he says, They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Three times he uses this word sanctify. And if you haven't already, circle it right next to it, set apart. That's what the word means. He says, Father, set my disciples apart for a special use. Set them apart by your truth. For their sakes, he says, I'm setting myself apart. And he does that in, in, in such a way to be an example, but to show us what it looks like. Set them apart. I, I want them to be used. Set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. And the word of God is truth. We have it in our hands, in our laps. We have it on our iPads, on our phones. The word of God. The word of God is the truth of God in written form. Yes, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So Jesus is truth personified. Everything about him is truth. But how do we live that truth out? Well, that's contained for us in the word of God. And today you have, most of you have an English translation on your lap. Maybe some of you have a Spanish translation. Maybe some of you have the the Hebrew in front of you. Maybe the Greek text from the New Testament. But we have primarily this English translation that we use that reveals to us the heart and the will of God. And I hope by now God's word has become precious to you. God's word has become very precious to me because it has taught me how to live my life. Not only has it taught me how to live my life, but it is teaching me how to live my life currently. And not only has it taught me in the past, 
and teaching me in the present, if I so choose, and I will, to open it in the future, it's going to teach me how to live then as well. That's where we learn how to live in this world because what we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Remember last time we learned Jesus prayed, Father, I ask you, don't take them out of the world. And we said, what? No, we want to go. This world can be so hard sometimes and so difficult. And there's that desire to be in the presence of Jesus where all things will make sense. But the answer to Jesus' prayer, well, you're sitting here. You're the answer to Jesus' prayer. He hasn't taken you yet. You're in this world. But how do we live in this world but not live like this world? It's through understanding God's word. Because we get all these messages from the world in which we live. These messages that tell us what this means and what that means. We, we listen to the music of this world. We watch the movies of this world. We work and live in the culture of this world. And yet we're not of this world. And there's great tension. There's great tension for us as believers. The, the tool that God uses to keep us untainted from the world is his word. But the problem is, of many, is that so many, even believers, statistics tell us, just don't read the Bible. They just don't read the Bible. You just don't read the Bible. I know I'm speaking to some of you. Uh, don't get mad at me. It's just the facts. You just don't read the Bible. For some of you, this is all you get is what I'm reading through the text, just the few verses we're going to look to today. But, but devotion life hasn't developed in you yet. You, you don't consult the Bible when you have problems. And, and one of the reasons is, is because, you know, some of the passages are hard. You know, you read through the Bible, and man, you did it this year. He's like, Genesis, yes, I can get that, Abraham. I get people's lives. And, and then you get to Exodus. You go, yeah, I get Moses. And, and I understand there's slavery, and they're delivered, and God's there. And you go, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, no more. No more. This is, what does this mean? And it's just such a bloody, it's such a bloody chapter of the Bible. All of the sacrifices and all of the specifics and, and what does this mean and how does this relate in the 21st century? And, and then at that point, you'd pretty much close the Bible and never open it again. Because a lot of what we do is habitual. And if we don't develop the right habits, then even good habits, good habits will fly out the window. Not only that, but if all we're getting is the music of this world and all we're getting is the movies of this world and all we're getting is our friends and work of this world giving us all this stuff, the Bible says evil company corrupts good habits. And Jesus, he's praying, he says, please, Father, sanctify them by your word. And the disciples are hearing this. And your word is truth. He is setting the course for all of history beginning with these men that the word of God is the source of truth. Another reason, another reason people don't open the Bible is because it is powerful. There is no other book on the planet that has the power of God's word. The Bible says in the New King James that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it just cuts to the quick, doesn't it? You open up the word and something's going on in your life and the spirit of God leads you right to the verse and, and, and that verse is, you are that man. And you go, I'm not that man. And God says, you are that man. I'm not that man. And the way you silence that is you close the book. But nobody knows you're that man. Ladies are like, yeah, I'm glad he didn't say woman. You are that woman. <laughs> nobody knows, but the Lord knows. And when you open the Bible, it's like every page. You are that man. You are that one. It's like, I, don't want, I can't deal with this. I don't want to live like that. I don't, 
I don't want to feel, I, I don't want to know all this weakness in my life. Let me read to you the New Living Translation. I love how it translates. Just jot it down. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is full of living power. It's sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into the innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. And just that truth alone, people don't want to read the Bible. Because God uses it to expose us for what we are. The good news, of course, is that when it exposes us for what we are, God then also gives us the remedy for where we are. And in this culture, we just don't hear what God has to say very often. The word of God is what keeps us prepared to live a life in this world, not being touched or tainted by this world. The Bible is our life preserver. It is and contains the answer to every issue in Jesus Christ pertaining to life and godliness. And we need, church, contact with the word of God as well as this world. We need both. There's balance. In this world, we need to be men and women of God's word so that we can learn how to to affect this world and not allowing the world to affect us as much as it has already. You see, if we have contact with the word of God, but not very much contact with the world, then we will become spiritually inflamed. Our opinion of ourselves will be so big that we think far too highly of ourselves in a very dirty, rotten culture. We'll think too much of ourselves. We'll, think, we'll start thinking like we're holier than thou. I'm a man of the word and I'm a man of holiness and I don't have any time for these things of the world. If that's all we're in the word and we're not interfacing with people of the, of the world and we're just men and women, then we're just gonna be spiritually large, thinking too highly of ourselves. Or the Bible word for that is prideful. And prideful people have a tendency to look down their noses at people that they deem less worthy. And according to Jesus Christ, he died for all. He calls anyone. Aren't you glad it's all? Because you're part of all. And at one point you answered the call. It wasn't all but you. It was all, yes, including you. And God is still doing that work through Jesus Christ. In another part of the Bible, Paul would write to a church and he would tell them this important thing. And, and, and this is a great place to, to emphasize how if you're, just a, if you're just knowing the Bible and it's all about knowledge for you and you're just getting knowledge, 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 Paul would say this, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Your knowledge, 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 and you just start, whoa, I know all of this, I know all of this, but you have no outlet in the world, then you're just gonna become prideful and arrogant and you're gonna know a lot of the Bible but have no impact for Jesus Christ in our day and age. You can't just have contact with the word and not the world. Because contact for the world, well, that's the other part of that verse from Paul. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You've got to have an outlet for everything that you're learning and growing in. There needs to be an outlet when you learn how to be the man God wants you to be. You learn how to be the woman that God wants You need an outlet, and that outlet is the love of Jesus Christ flowing through your life. Jesus put it this way, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. And so while knowledge can puff up without love, love always builds up, and we need both. We need both because if we don't have an outlet, we don't have an outlet, we're going to be puffed up. You know, the way the world describes relationships, it's just not, 
It's just not true. The way the world describes love, the way the world makes everything so romantic. Haven't you noticed that every, you know, all the romantic movies, they always have just the right music to make you feel something. But it's not real. The way that they describe relationships, it's not the way of the Lord. Okay, so let me just say, since we have talked about uh, this conference coming up and husbands and wives, let me tell you what the Bible says, okay? The Bible says, you husbands, this is what the Bible says. You husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Some of you are wondering, how am I supposed to be a good husband? My marriage is messed up, and what am I supposed to do? Here's your answer. This is what the Bible says. God says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's some serious implications. So then we go and go, wait a minute. How did Christ love the church? Well, he loved the church unconditionally. He loved the church sacrificially. He loved the church and died for the church so that you and I might be in relationship with him. He loved consistently. He loved as a servant. I mean, you don't hear that in songs today, do you? You flipping through the radio, okay, husbands, love your wives. (laughs) everybody just turned the radio off right now like what is that what is that like you don't hear that and you know especially you don't hear that i've never heard some song love your life is christ love the church in some country music song now there's a reason for that i don't listen to country music But I mean, if believers write the songs, of course. But this culture, this culture says, man, if it ain't working out, ditch her. Leave her. There's somebody else. You're supposed to be happy. You're in a time where you're not happy right now. Love yourself. Love yourself. Love yourself. That's the message of the world. The Bible doesn't say that. Wives, here's a piece of advice for you in your marriage. That's what the Bible says. Wives, Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's not a popular topic in culture today. Wives submit, submit, submit. Now, none of you guys are doing this here, but somebody in their car right now is screaming at me. (laughs) Submit, you don't know. And that's okay, respond. I'm good. I'm good with it. Let's talk because... Submission is from the Lord. It's the very fabric of society depends upon mutual submission. But a lot of times, because of the difficulty in your marriage, because your husband isn't loving you like Christ loved the church, or you might even be in an unequally yoked relationship right now, you stop at the word submit, but that really isn't the emphasis in that verse. The emphasis of that verse isn't submitting to your husband. The emphasis in that verse, as unto the Lord. So the real question to ask today is not the brokenness between you and your husband. The real question to ask is, how is your submission unto the Lord? Who loves you unconditionally, who died for you, who serves you, who's faithful to you. How's your submission there? And that, my friend, is the source that you bring back into your home. The world doesn't teach that. The music of the world doesn't teach that. The movies of the world doesn't, don't teach that. Our friends at work, they don't teach that. But Jesus says, sanctify them, Father. Set them apart. It's going to be rough in the world for them. In another place, Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation. It's going to be hard. 
But what they need is to be sanctified by what? The truth. The truth. And that's what this book, that's what this book is. It is the truth of God. Let me just say this before we move on. If you're in the word and you're not really interfacing with those in the world and kind of judgmental and condemning everyone in the world, then you're going to be knowledge is going to puff up. But let me say the opposite. If you're not in the word and you're completely consumed by the world, then you're going to be a carnal, fleshly, disobedient person and not live according to the precepts of God. You won't be pleasing God. Your life will be rebellious. Your life will be disconnected from the God that saved. If you're in the world, hanging out in the world, and, and you're, you're not in the word, then you're going to pick up everything that this world has, and you're going to find out that it's empty, and it doesn't last, and it's not eternal, and thieves break in and steal, and things rust out, and you've got to throw things away, and including the world has an attitude of not only disposable stuff, but disposable people, and we need both. We need both. Remember, we learned last time, you, uh, you and I, we need the world as much as the world needs us as salt and light in a lost and dying culture. We're not of this world. I mean, the world can't figure us out. You know, for those of you that are really walking closer with the world, you have friends that just don't get it, man. They don't get it. You have coworkers that think you're some whacked out person that loves God now. And though I love God, but, but you, you're way out there. I mean, think about it. Think about it. That's why every portrayal of anything uh, Christian, anything that pertains to the things of God is always portrayed in the media as some kooky, weird, way out, distant, disconnected from reality type of adder. You know, you're just, you're old fashioned. You're old fashioned. That's your, you don't know what you're talking about. And that book wasn't written by men and on and on and on. But, uh, you know, if you went into work tomorrow and you said, dude, you will not believe what happened to me last night. I was sleeping in my bed and I was so deep in sleep and I began to float above my bed. It was awesome, man. My wife came in and did that thing and she could see I was floating. And then I looked up and there was a, through the through the light in my roof, what do they call that? Through that sunroof in my, in my house, I saw a UFO, man. It was amazing. Big head, big eyes. And, and a light shone down right through my sunroof. And it came off the roof and it picked me up and I fit right through that hole. And the aliens took me away for two hours. And they taught me of the things of life. Would you like to learn about it? And your coworker goes, dude, that happened to me too. <laughs> Amazing. The UFOs have come to Denver. We need to get a picture of them and a YouTube video. They're going to like take you out to lunch. Let's go have dinner together. My wife needs to hear this. Nobody believes in the UFOs but you and me. But you go to work tomorrow. And somebody says, hey, man, how was your weekend? And you go, hey, my wife and I, were struggling, man. We're about ready to throw in the towel. I'm done. I'm kind of mad at her. Man, she's really mad at me. And, and I'm done. I'm sick of being mad. I'm, it's not what I thought marriage was. But let me tell you something. We decided to go to church. Church, yeah, that church on the corner over there, right where you live. That big box, that warehouse, that's a church. We went in and they, this guy was up there talking about the Bible and, and he's telling me, telling these weird things about husbands loving like Christ and wives submitting, but it, 
it flipped something in my mind. And while I don't totally understand what that pastor said, I think there's hope for my marriage. And so I called. I'm going to make an appointment with one of those pastor guys there, one of those priests, and I'm going to talk to them about my marriage. And the response you get, are you an idiot? Leave her. I left mine last week. It'll make me feel a lot better if you leave yours too. Oh, they never say that. But that's a motive of their, of their conversation. And they're going to say, I can't believe you're believing the Bible. You believe in church? What'd you walk in there for? I drive by that all the time and I pray against that building. I don't want anything to do with that building. They're so narrow-minded. And on and on and on and on and on. Listen. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. And there's something in the heart of man that until they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they'll receive any lie that's thrown at them. It's the pattern from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Hearing a lie, believing a lie, acting on the lie is the root of every single problem in our lives. Where do we know the truth? In God's word. Yes, you're right. I read, I've spent 25 years reading God's word in my life, and there are some really hard parts of the Bible. There's some hard things to understand, for sure. I mean, there's not a month that goes by that we don't have someone call into the radio broadcast and ask the question, what does Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 mean? And my answer is always, well, you have picked probably one of the top 10 most difficult passages in all the Bible. And then I'll go to answer it, and then we'll end. I'm not sure which side it is. This is kind of where I fall. But, but you know, the reality is, is we have a God that loves us and his son Jesus. And I go back to the things I do understand. And I acknowledge there's some of the Bible is hard to understand, hard to, hard to really grasp. But that only, that only reveals to me that there's a God who knows all things, who's worthy of my trust. I don't have to understand everything. And I don't think it's the things that we don't understand that scare us from the Bible. It's the things you do understand, aren't they? When the Bible says, leave this or forsake that, or it gives us some direction. This is the prayer of Jesus. Set them apart. How? By the truth. That's why, as a church, we place great emphasis upon the teaching of the Bible. And we always will until he returns or until I go home. That's, that will be my commitment, to teach you the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's why I spend the majority of my week in my office praying, studying, and looking things up and asking God to give me not only what the text says, not only what it means, but what does it mean for us as a church, our church family and our culture and our context. It's very important. And if you come to a women's study, it's going to be about the word of God. And if you come to a prayer meeting, we're going to pray with our Bibles open. And if you come to the men's gathering, you're going to have the word of God. If you call and ask us for help, we're going to open the Bible to you. Uh, We're going to give you homework in the Bible. We're going to ask you to apply the Bible. And then when you come back for your second appointment, our first question is, is did you do what we asked you to do from the Bible the last time? And if you say no, then we're going to say, let's rewind that last appointment and go back and do what you were told to do from the word of God, because it is the truth of God that sets our lives apart. So one more thing before we move on. To the degree that the Bible is in you and in your mind, transforming your mind, washing your mind with the water of the word, will be to the degree that you're set apart in a world that's hostile to the things of God. More Bible, more setting apart. 
And the more you're set apart, you have to remember the more you need to integrate with this world and talk to them and minister to them and love them in Jesus' name. There's a balance. Verse 20, John 17. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's a really cool verse. He's praying for us. 2,000 years ago, he's praying for us. He knew, looking down the annals of time as God in human flesh, that you and I would believe. It's so awesome. And here's his prayer, verse 21. That they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and, verse 22, the glory which you gave me I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What does Jesus pray for 2,000 years ago for us? Unity. Unity, notice, in him. Unity in him. He prays for unity. He prays the concern right before the cross. Right before Jesus is is beaten mercilessly and hung on a Roman torture cross. What's on his mind? His own pain? His own suffering? What's on his mind is you and me and our unity. Believers in unity. Why? Because, well, because division always destroys Division always destroys. And one of the major tools of the devil is division. So much is thrown our way to get us not united, to create disunity, ultimately division. You know, the devil is real. He's a created being who rebelled against God. He was once a perfect angel and he rebelled against God and forever is now against God and against those that follow God. The devil, he's real. The demonic realm is real. And I know the Bible teaches us that the devil knows the Bible. He's been around a long time. He knows the scriptures. In James, James even tells us, even the demons believe and tremble. Now, they don't have saving like belief. Don't misunderstand me like the devil or the demons can be saved. No, they just have, they understand. They hear something, they believe it. It doesn't change them, but they believe it. And this is one of the verses, jot it down, that I think the devil believes because I see it as the outcome of, of most of his work on the earth today. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. I believe, you know, if the devil had a desk and he had a scripture there on his desk, it would be this scripture. And he believes it and uses it against us. It's Matthew 12, 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Division always leads to destruction in any government, in any local community, the city, like a walled city, a community, and he includes a house. He's not talking about a crack down the foundation. He's talking about a family. Any house that's divided, it's not going to stand. And he uses that against us constantly. 
He uses that not only against us personally, but he also uses it against us corporately as the church of Jesus Christ, capital C. Always wanting to stir up division. Always wanting people to take sides and fight on either side. It it is common, and it is so common that we may not even be perceptive to it anymore, and we will fall to its temptations. I like how Chuck Swindoll described unity. He put it this way, and I quote, Union has an affiliation with others, but no common bond that makes them one in heart. Uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. Unanimity is complete agreement across the board. But unity refers to a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and an agreement on major points of doctrine. I like that. Unity is not union, it's not uniformity, and it's not unanimity. It is a oneness of heart, similarity of purpose, and an agreement on major points of doctrine, the essentials of the faith, we would call them. The word that we use to describe that here when we're talking about ministry and serving together is the word like-mindedness, like-mindedness. Well, we're like-minded. Like-mindedness isn't conformity where we all believe the same thing all the time about everything. Nobody does that. That's impossible. And that's not what God asks. No, like-mindedness is generally we see things the same way. And our disagreements are minor and secondary and submit to the primary things that we believe. And when we make secondary things primary things, division is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. I think the world looks at the church today and at church at large and just sees something fractured and broken with so much infighting and so much separation. Now I have to say, in some organizations that call themselves a church, there needs to be a division because they don't believe in Jesus Christ, the risen son. So that's a doctrinal issue. And we have to divide on primary doctrines. If someone says, I don't believe in the virgin birth, then I can't have fellowship with them. If I don't, I don't believe Jesus is God and human, I can't have fellowship with them. If somebody says, well, I think Jesus is the, the, Luce, the brother of Lucifer, I can't have fellowship with them. They believe in a different Jesus than I do. But when it comes to style and practice, we can have disagreements and still enjoy one another. We can still enjoy serving our city with one another. You know, I personally am grateful that there is a variety of churches in our city, in our metro area. You know why? Because God, he sees diversity in people, so he has created a diversity of real churches, real church communities that reach different segments of our society. And for that, I'm grateful. Churches that sing maybe different songs or different style, maybe even a different style of teaching. Or some churches that, you know, I don't want to meet in a building. I want to meet under a tree. Well, God bless you because a lot of people want to meet under trees. In the wintertime, I don't understand that. But I, I'm cool, man. If you want to meet under a tree, go meet under a tree and worship Jesus. You know, there are churches that say, no, I think we should meet in homes. Then open up your home and get your whole neighborhood meeting in your... Great! Those are all secondary matters. And I'm grateful. We, we are not in competition with any true church of Jesus Christ here in our city. We're not in competition. If somebody's, if God is blessing another church, even if it's across the street, around the corner, yes, I'm happy. Man, if God is just exploding, that church is growing 10 million times faster than any other church. They're on the cover of all the magazines and they're preaching the one true gospel. 
they get my prayer, my support, and I say, go for it, man. Go for it. Reach my city. That's my neighbor that goes to your church. That's my friend. That's my boss. My boss really needs to go to your church. So I'm glad. Yes, I'm happy. They're not in competition for them. I don't go into my office and go, oh, Lord, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. You're using other churches. I don't do that. I say, God bless them. If we're in it together. I mean, to me, like, I know there's little subtle differences between churches and such, and I respect that, but I, I'm also grateful that I can yoke arm to arm with true Christians in my city. I was just up, you, we together as a church family, we were all just up in North Glen, Colorado. Did you know that? North Glen, Colorado. Didn't know where that was. I had to put it in GPS. I was invited a couple weeks ago to share with the men, the men's ministry, at Calvary Community Baptist Church on the corner of 120th and Irma Street. How do I know that? Because GPS told me that's where it was. And so I drove up I-25 yesterday morning, got off on 120th, started heading east, kind of driving slow because I don't know where it is, and there it is. Beautiful, wonderful church community right on the corner. We go in, and I'm just so grateful. I wrote my thank you notes this morning to Pastor Brian and also Pastor Jeremy who extended that invitation to me, and I said thank you for entrusting the precious flock that you oversee to me. Thank you. That's an honor for me, that we could yoke arm in arm, and in some small way, the fellowship family of Calvary Aurora could come alongside of you and encourage you and strengthen you. And, and it's your faithful giving, it's, it's your faithfulness in the Lord that gives me the opportunity and the staff, the people here, to full-time dedicate themselves to these types of things so that as the pastors are taking care of things, I can accept an invitation like that, drive up there, spend a couple hours loving on those guys, teaching them about spiritual warfare. I'll tell you what we didn't do. We didn't talk about our subtle differences in doctrine. We didn't talk about, well, you know, I just want you to know, I don't really, man, I'm like, dude, you're going to let me talk? I didn't say dude, excuse me. Uh, I was respectful, but I feel like that. You know, it's like, man, you let me, you let me, you, the pastor was sitting there where you are. The pastor of the church was sitting there where you are. And I had the privilege of pouring into him that he was so respectful and humble that he would allow me. I mean, that is no small thing in my heart to be able to serve North Glen, Colorado, which is up north on 120th and I-25. <laughs> But check this out. It's even better. God had something even better in store. So I've got two new pastor friends, got to meet them, about 40, 50 guys, got to meet them. We talked about spiritual warfare. But when, when we were done, we left. And, and when we were coming into the parking lot, I had Josh with me because I don't travel alone. So I had Josh with me. And as I came, we came into the parking lot. As we pulled into the parking lot uh, to come, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there's a building across the street. It's an old metal building. It's kind of thin and long. And it seemed to be broken in half. The back half of the building was the U-Haul rental company and a bunch of U-Haul trucks and trailers back there. But the front that faced the street, you know what it had? It had a sign. It had a church sign right on the building. You know what it said? Calvary Chapel, Christ the King Fellowship. Now, I know Pastor Jim. I've met him over the phone. Uh, he recently affiliated a few years ago, and I've reached out to him, and I've talked to him on the phone. I've prayed with him. I've sent him texts. And, and the last time I talked to him, I hadn't met him in person. The last time I talked to him, his wife was battling a serious form of cancer. Uh, and, then, and, and so that, I knew about that ministry, but I had no idea where it was. Um, I hadn't seen it before. I don't really head up in that area very much. And so I didn't know. And so I said, hey, Josh, man, let's go over and see if he's there. 
You know, let's go over. And I noticed once we got across the street, it's like totally catty corner from each other. I mean, directly across the street. And so we go over and uh, they have a new building. They're renting, it's, they're doing some construction on a new building on the property. So I, we go into that first and there's like three or four guys in there and say, hey, is Pastor Jim around? He's, oh yeah, don't, hey, he's over in the offices across the way. So let me take you over to him. They're so kind, so loving. So we're walking across the parking lot and he doesn't take us to the front of the building that says Calvary Chapel, we walk in the door of the U-Haul rental office and guess who's sitting at the desk renting U-Hauls? Pastor Jim. That's what he's doing to help provide for his family. And so he got up and he gave us a big hug and he said, hey, Pastor Jim, my name is Ed. And I know, and we got to meet and we got to hug and share. I met his son, Christian. Uh, we walked through his facility. We, we let him share what the big vision is and what God's gonna do with this old dairy that used to, I mean, it was glorious, so much fellowship. And check this out. Calvary Community Baptist is right here on the corner reaching North Glen and that whole area for Jesus Christ. And right across the street, I mean, walking distance, Calvary Chapel, Christ the King is reaching North Glen for Jesus Christ as it should be arm in arm reaching the gospel and we get to be we get to be just a very small part of what God's doing but a small part is still an important part the Bible says don't despise the days of small things and Jesus is praying for unity We're not in competition with any church. We're not in competition with any true work of God. We know what our calling is, and we know what God has called us to do. We know that we feel responsible to minister to Larry and the church up here at Grace Church. We feel responsible uh, in our movement, our family of churches, to to put on conferences and to put on events and and to make it available for free for these guys because they're already taking a day off of work and they're they're already I mean we feel responsible to send resources to the pastors to send resources to the pastors we feel responsible to encourage and we don't draw the lines just on our little family because the family of Christ is much bigger than our family now I love our family I was saved in our family and I appreciate like it but the body of Christ is much bigger. And Jesus is praying for that 2,000 years ago. And I have the privilege of reminding us of that very thing. We don't want to get into sex and S-E-C-T-S, you know, divisions. We don't want to get into uh, this denominational, the you, I'm of you, and I, we don't, I don't, we don't, that, that doesn't, that doesn't display the love of Jesus Christ. It doesn't display his glory. But when love, when mercy, and when grace flows among us, even when we disagree, it's hard. It's hard to ignore that kind of love. That's otherworldly love that can only come from God. It's hard to ignore that. And the church has a hard time They can talk about doctrine, they can argue about UFOs, and they can do whatever they want, but they have a hard, the world has a really hard time refuting true agape love. Where everything in us calls for one action, but the Holy Spirit leads us to love. It's a powerful thing. One more thing, and we're going to end our time in worship. Notice verse 24. Father... I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I've declared to them your name, and declare it, and will declare it, that the love 
with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That's the summary of his prayer. He didn't have to say in Jesus' name, you know, because he was Jesus. (laughs) But that's it, man. That's the amen of the prayer. Of all that he said, this is it. That they'd see my glory. And that the love that you've given me, I've given them, that the world would see that love. That's the sum. That's the bottom line. I mean, that's where, that's where the meat of the gospel really is. An otherworldly love that changes lives like yours and mine. And what a beautiful prayer, because he's answering that prayer in so many believers today. We, we are just so encouraged at all the, you know, all of the, the different testimonies of love flowing through your life. All the different testimonies of love that God is bringing through you with the hope of glory up ahead. Just like the time where Jesus was transfigured up on that mountaintop. They got to taste a little bit of his glory. Or Moses, when he went up for the Ten Commandments, the glory of God was so bright that he had to cover himself when he came down. It was so beautiful. It was so all-consuming to have a vision of Jesus and who he is. And all these things will fade away. That we might just be consumed with him. That he would be our lives. Like he said, the source of unity is the same source of love. When Jesus says, he is in us and we are in him. And when that happens, we are one together in him. That's the place of power. That's the place of progress. That's where lives are transformed. That's where hearts are open to the truth. It's the love of God. It's the love of God, church. It's the truth that he loved me even when I was unlovable. And how many times in my life as a believer am I still unlovable? How many failures have I committed that God still loves me? How many times have I stumbled? How many times have I been unloving to my wife, but he still loves me and still gives me a chance? How many times have I been short with my kids? How many times has grief overwhelmed my emotions and I've acted in a way that didn't glorify? How many times that God still loves me? Every time. (laughs) And the answer is true for you too. In your own set of circumstances that remind you of your humanity. That Jesus, or excuse me, David, he writes in the Psalms that God loves us so much he has compassion on us. In the old King James it says because he knows that we're just dust. In the New Living Translation, it speaks of because he knows we're human. He knows our human condition. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways, just like us, but without sin. And that's Jesus' prayer for us. And we would do well to walk in his wisdom and his power and become the answers to his prayer. And as we spend some time in song right now, as we spend some time waiting upon him, as we spend some time on our knees with hands lifted up, as we spend some time maybe on face down with the circumstances of our lives and holiness before the Lord, give God a chance not only to speak the truth to you, but also to make it real in your hearts. The world doesn't need any more loveless churches and loveless Christians. And while it's not my business to point all that out and who they are and what, that's not my business. My business is just to make sure in my relationship with Jesus Christ that there's one less person that's going to have a finger pointed at them as a man. That's just another loveless pastor. Just another one. I've met him in 10 different churches. No, no, no. 
No, the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to say, no, no, not only does this pastor want to walk in the love of Jesus Christ, but all the men that serve alongside of him, all the lay leading men that serve alongside of them, all their wives that serve with them, all their kids. We want to be a church that manifests the true love of God, even with all our faults and failures, that God's love would be manifest among us continually because love changes the world. And that's the heart of Jesus Christ. So let's pray as the worship team comes. And God, I know that um, this text, um, there's so much more in it. And I pray that I've done it justice for your honor, Lord. I pray, God, that the words that I spoke were through the gifting of pastor, teacher, that your church, those listening in on the radio, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, uh, Hawaii, uh, Texas, Northern California, Denver, Cheyenne, Colorado Springs, Fountain, Lyman, Elizabeth, Denver, Lord, all around that love would just be unleashed among us, Lord. And we wait upon you right now. We wait upon you in song. Please speak to us, reveal to us, minister to us, Lord. Your word says that while the early church was ministering to you, you were ministering to them. So we come before you, Lord, and we want to minister to you right now. And so we, like Samuel, say, speak for your servant hears. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.